bagel 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 i say <laughs> you bagel do say funny you do i'm gonna admit it um, you do i don't know how to stop doing it though i, I guess think it's, it's just one part of who i am i think it's just one day at a time quinn okay i think that's all i can do Did you eat? I'm going to fix my mic so it might make noise. Sorry, readers. Um, Did you eat sugary cereal growing up? I think we were allowed to have it very rarely. And my cereal of choice, I recall being Captain Crunch. Wait, lie. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the one I mean. Okay. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is a real, is really delicious. I love Lucky Charms. I do. I sometimes get it and have it for dessert sometimes. Those fake rotten little marshmallows are your thing? Those fake rotten little, they're so delicious. I also. Stale little yeah, I don't, grubs floating around in I your cereal. I have to tell you, we didn't have much restrictions on our diet growing up as kids. Like my mom would leave candy out all the time. And I think because she did, none of us were like, have to hoard all the candy. Like we were never, she was just like, yeah, Yeah, it's candy. I I wonder a little bit what's going to happen with Koa because we don't, uh, I don't want to say we don't allow him sugar, but we don't give him sugar. He doesn't ask for it and we say no. He just doesn't know about it. Like he doesn't even know (laughs) what he wants. Like he'll go right now to, he's like old too. He's like almost three and we'll go to a kid's birthday and a mom will be like, Koa, do you want a piece of cake? And he'll be like, no, thank you. Like, he doesn't know what it is. So he's like, I'm good. It looks super weird. <laughs> Why is it blue? I don't need yeah, any other blue Yeah, it's like foods. terrifying to him. So he'll skip it. But um, we don't give him like treats. I mean, I give him like whatever. I'm not going to defend it. Fruit. I'm just going to say that the couple times he's had a substantial amount of sugar were even accidents or someone else giving it to him and his he acted totally crazy where he acted like he was on drugs got really amped up to where he was making us laugh so hard we were crying because he would was acting so strange and then he started crashing so hard that he like tantrum cried lost his mind and that's happened like the three times he's had really sugary things. And so I was like, I don't know. I just don't think I actually don't think he's enjoying himself. Like, I think that we're a little bit. We're the boss and we're giving him a thing. He's taking our word for it, that it's something he should eat. And then he feels like shit, like shit. And so I was like, you know, OK, we're not going to give him sugar. No big deal for now. No big deal. Because, again, he doesn't know. But now when we go to people's houses and stuff and they is have he the kids. weird kid. <laughs> Just kidding. no, but they'll be like, "Can Koa have a popsicle or whatever they're giving their kid?" And I'm like, "No, he's okay. He doesn't need one." And then if I say any abbreviated thing of what I just said to you, like, "We n- try not to give him too much sugar. He acts kind of mental." I feel the parent spin into yeah. that defensive place where they're like, they start being like, "Yeah, I wish we did that," or or oh, like, um, I don't know. They want to make an excuse or they want to defend their actions. When I, that's not at all. I, 
what I hate about not giving Koa sugar is how sanctimonious it fucking sounds when I tell anyone about it. It sounds like I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> we don't give him sugar. And there's no way to sound like not an asshole to a point where I'm like, should I just fucking give him sugar? Because I actually feel like shit when I tell anybody that I don't because I feel like I sound like a total dickhole. <laughs> I think it's, listen, I think that's super tough. I totally understand. And I think by not giving your kids sugar, you probably see a very clear difference in their behavior when you give it to them now. Whereas I think a lot of folks, once the baby hits one, all bets are off. I was telling my mom about the story that I'm going to tell you today. Mm -hmm. Here's my favorite thing that she's ever said to me. She goes... I go, mom, do you want to hear the story? I'm looking up, I'm researching. She's like, oh, I love these stories. I but love these kinds of the... stories. Oh, oh, okay. You she told goes, her. I love I these kinds say, of stories. She hasn't listened to the show. No, I tell her them in person. And so I go, so this is the story. My mom goes, you know, Carrie, I love these stories. I go, then why don't you listen to the fucking podcast? I say fuck to my mom. It's fine. We're chill. We're cool. I go, then why don't you listen to my fucking podcast? She goes, well, I like when you tell me them in person. I go, well, that's the fucking podcast mom and she was like it's just I, I, I you know I I just like when you tell them but they're fun stories they really are and she's like what's Quinn doing and I said Quinn doesn't tell me I find out live on the podcast she goes what not true in this particular <laughs> instance you do know the story I'm doing because I foreshadowed it through you foreshadowing did. last you episode did. did you start or did I start last at I believe I was first I'm actually very excited about my story. Well, begin it. Begin Shall at the I beginning. Launch into it? <gasps> Let's start at the very beginning. Dun, 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 dun. We love a sound of music. Go Consider Remy. me the Maria of Va- <laughs> <laughs> or something. <laughs> Do re mi. Consider me the Maria von Trapp of true crime comedy podcasts. Oh, ooh. All right, von Consider Trapp. Consider that, folks. Who wants to be my captain? Who wants to be my hot Christopher Plummer captain? Let's talk about it. I want to be the misogynistic Nazi that's like, I'll take care of you. (laughs) Any true fan of the sound of music would know it was Rolf, okay? Okay, well, I guess I'm not a true fan. So I'm doing the story of the Fen treasure. Do you know about this? The what? The Fen treasure. Fen treasure? (gasps) <gasps> Wait a minute. Is that the treasure that was found? Yes. Spoiler alert. Well, okay. Spoiler well, alert. can I just say that my whole life is ruined because all I've ever wanted is to find it, and I thought so you, one oh. day I would look, and now it's fucking found. Well, that's up for debate. But what I love is I figured you would know it, but I was scrolling through Facebook as I'm wont to do. And I found this and it was the story. It was like NPR discovered. And I was like, I got to do this story. I'm so fucking story beyond excited that you're doing it because I clocked it as a story I was going to do in the future after it was in the news this week. I was like, that is a story we have to cover. It's so crazy. I don't know much about it, but I know I need to know about it because I love scavenger hunts. I love treasure. And I love that guy for what he's done I mean, for us. 
It's pretty fucking bonkers. If you don't know, I'm excited to tell you, dear readers. Quinn already knows. She'll help me tell the story. Okay, so I got my information from um, Santa Fe, New Mexican, which is a publication, CNN, NPR, USA Today, Ars Technica, NBC News, Wikipedia. So there's this guy, Forrest Fenn. First of all, great name. Great name. Incredible First of all, name. great name. So as of right now, he's an 89-year-old um, an 89-year-old dude from Santa Fe. So he's an old Vietnam vet. He was a fighter pilot. He is into antiques and art. He's a self-taught archaeologist, which I feel like, based on some of the information I found, I think he's gotten himself into hot water because where he's located in Santa Fe, New Mexico, there are a lot of Native American artifacts. And he just goes out and digs? Yeah, like I think it's actually a problem because I think he has like weird shit that he shouldn't have and he doesn't do it the right way. But anyway, the guy's fucking loaded. He deals in all this shit. So in 1988, he was diagnosed with cancer. They said it was terminal. And here is where the plan started in motion. He had this idea that he was like, I'm going to hide a treasure somewhere and send everyone on this wild goose chase. Mm -hmm. Great. And he was like, I'm dying of cancer. It's just my new life goal. Miraculously, he survives cancer. He gets better. And in 2010, he self-publishes a memoir called The Thrill of the Chase. I'm shocked the name wasn't taken, but... (laughs) It probably was. At this point, can I ask, so at this point, has he already buried the treasure? No. Or it's still just that idea is still cooking away? By this point, he had buried the treasure. And apparently, I had read that he had some friends who had seen this box and a couple people like substantiated that it was that he actually had it and then it was gone. But at, so he was 80 years old at the time. So he hid it when he was 80 years old. Mm-hmm. And then he published the book in 2010 called The Thrill of the Chase. Thrilling. Thrilling. In this book, there is a poem and a map on the page. And this is where danger is afoot. No, this is where he lays out nine clues. And there are clues throughout the memoir, I guess. I have not. I'm going to say it right now, dear readers. I have not read the memoir. But he says all the clues you need for finding said treasure are in the book. Would you like me to read the poem? I thought you were going to say the book. Would you like me to start at the very beginning? Part one of 736. (laughs) Carrie starts the book. I was born Forrest Fenn. (laughs) Yes, read the poem. I can't wait to hear the poem. Okay. In the there's a map next to the poem that's important that like shows Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado, and a little bit of New Mexico. So basically, the Rocky Mountains. Heard of them? Okay. This is the poem. It says, As I have gone alone in there, and with my treasure bold, I can keep my secret where, and hint of riches new and old. Ooh. Begin it where warm waters halt, and take it to the canyon down, not far, but too far to walk, put in below the home of brown. From there it's no place for the meek, the end is ever drawing nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down, your quest to cease. But tarry scant with a marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? 
The answer I already know. I've done it tired and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. I love it. I love it. What can I ask you a question? Please. If you were going to look for this treasure, what would your like what where would you start in terms of research after hearing that poem personally? Hmm. Okay. I don't think I would look for this treasure. I don't know why. I just don't think I would. It's not my vibe because I'm like, it's really fucking dangerous and I don't know this area at all. But what I would probably do, the thing is, is where you start. So where, as I have gone in there with my treasures bold, okay, begin at where warm waters halt. So what I would do is I would look at, I would probably look at the temperature of the rivers and see if there's a place between like where in New Mexico and Colorado where that temperature change happens because i i've driven this area and the landscape does change fairly quickly and the weather changes fairly quickly mm-hmm. based on the mountains or so maybe I there's like a hot out, springs even right like a natural yeah, hot springs then that would be wyoming right so i, I think essentially and i and i'll look back at my notes but i think it covers like three to five thousand miles or something like it's an insane amount of space and under brown it's like it can't be easy where it would be a historic house that would be easy to look up or something well i'll tell you because there's been and i'll go through some of the spoiler alert deaths okay so just a little bit about um so that's the poem but just a little bit about actually the treasure so he has said it's in this romanesque box so it's like a box with a bunch of carvings of women and ladies and knights and it's a 10 inch by 10 inch box so it's not that big and the box in and of itself weighs 20 pounds and then the treasure in it weighs 20 pounds and it said that there's gold rubies emeralds diamonds in it and so he is said to have made two trips to the treasure because he did this when he was 80 years old so he like brought the box at one point and then he brought the loot with it so it's a 40 pound box crazy so he's only revealed that it's hidden in the rockies right and it's between santa fe and the canadian border which is 3000 miles it's not 5000 but it's 3000 miles long it's at an elevation uh, elevation it's at an elevation above 5000 feet and he says it's not in a mine it's not in a graveyard or near a structure so it kind of like whittles out some ideas and the big why is why he did it one cuz i think he i feel like there's like a little bit of god complex in here somehow you know i feel like that's a part of it but he he did it in 2010 i think based on what I read, was a little bit of cancer. It's a little bit of cancer. cancer. A little bit of God. A little bit of God. A little bit of wine. But what he claims, a little bit of vino, but what he claims is that it was in 2010, it was after the Great Recession, right? We're just getting out of the Great Recession and um, the housing crisis of 2008. And I think he wanted to he wanted to restore people's curiosity in the outdoors and he wanted to give people hope after the Great Recession. I think that's, I don't know, I think that's really cool in the way that it's not very practical to relate it to the Great Recession because you're like, oh, you could probably find like a good charity. But maybe he did that too. I just do think in terms of um, forget hope. I don't know if hope's the word. I think of whimsy. And I sort of think about adults feeling like kids again because that's so much of what Mm. I want to try to do with uh, 
with Purple Crayon Immersive and and make people feel like they're kids again. That feeling is so hard to come by. And I feel like the whimsy of burying a treasure out there and giving people cryptic clues to find it is it's just so delightful. I feel like I see this in your future. Hold on. My foot's asleep. You see me getting rich enough to hide a treasure? I mean, here's the thing, though, that greed ruins everything, right? Like, because people went too far with this. That, like, whimsy that you're talking about, I think, like, whether all that intention was probably there in the beginning, but, like, people became ruthless and put themselves in danger because of the money, which, like, that makes me sad. Back to the story. So he says, sure, I'm an eccentric, but I pride myself on being eccentric, and I don't want to go down the center line like a lot of people do. If that doesn't sound like Quinlan Posner, I don't know what does. Well, thank you. So he published his own book. He made no money off the book because he didn't want to be considered a fraud, right? I don't think he wanted to be like, all these people bought the book because it has a treasure. It has a potential for a million dollar treasure. Not only that, but if no one found it in his lifetime, people would speculate that it was just to garner sales of the book and there was in fact no treasure at all. So people still think that. People still think that. Well, I hope people don't still think that after it's been fucking found. Because although it's been found, Fenn is the only person that has said it's been found and the person does not want their name or identity released. Fenn said it was confirmed in a photograph, but he does not want to reveal the photograph. Fascinating. What? Yeah. Whoa. So there is some speculation and there's some lawsuits of course there are. It's America. We're a litigious society. We love to sue shit. We love to sue the shit out of people. That's just part of our vibe. As of now, 350,000 people have hunted for it. Wow. A lot of people. Some even quit their jobs. Some people Well, that's even optimistic. Eat. Right? If people are willing to quit their jobs for this, it's like people being like, I'm going to quit my job and play the lottery full time. That's just like... <laughs> Not a thing. It's just an excuse. It's but it's just an excuse. I think people aren't like, I'm gonna find this fucking thing. I guess mm-hmm. if they took a year off and they're like, if I get a million dollars, that's a good yearly wage. It's a good year's work. Um so people will email him all the time and be like, Can I get a clue? And he's like, I don't even look at those emails. Fuck those emails. Those are the emails I just don't respond to. So then there are people that have been like, You can go out, you can look, and then you come back and you're like, Where did I go wrong? So there's people that go out repeatedly, repeatedly. There are people that go out repeatedly multiple times being like, I took a wrong turn somewhere. And so they like are obsessive about it, right? One person said, This woman, um, Cynthia Meacham, a retired high school teacher, um, she says she's been out at least 60 times looking for the treasure. And she said, and you go out and you do it again. And I have actually seen some of the most spectacular scenery because of this that I ever would have seen. Oh, see, that's so that awesome, I think is, too. I think that's beautiful. And I think his initial claim of doing it so people see the, the outdoors and scenery and nature, I think... That feels successful. In 2015, Fen came out and he was like, it's not in a mine because that would be too dangerous. He's like, remember. So quit looking in mines. And quit don't looking put in babies in boxes. Fucking, and don't put babies in boxes. He was like, keep in mind, I did this when I was 80 years old. <laughs> like, I hit this when I was, and I made two fucking trips. So here's where the thing, some people have died looking for this treasure, which is 
horrible and so sad. And I'll go through some of the folks that have died. And because the reason why is obviously the Rocky Mountains are quite large, 3,000 miles. I don't know if you've heard. It's a really, that's long. That's a that's a long time. That's a lot of space to travel. But in the Rocky Mountains, need I say more? There are bears. There are snakes. There's like slopes. There's traps. There's no cell service. So it's easy to get fucking lost. So here are some people that have died. In 2016, there's this guy, Randy Bilyeu. He was 54. He disappeared along the Rio Grande while looking, and then his body was found about a month later. His ex-wife, Linda, actually came out and was like, this is ludicrous. It should be stopped. The hunt is crazy, and I don't think she believed it. The treasure actually existed. To which Fenn replied, if someone drowned in a swimming pool, we wouldn't drain the pool. We would teach people to swim. And it's like, well, Fenn. You're not teaching people how to hunt for treasure. Like, I don't, that, I, I don't know if you're going to weigh in on this one, you know? Yeah, I don't think you should have weighed in probably at all on that. Yeah, I think you would have stayed quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy named Jeff Murphy who was from Illinois. What, what? He was 53 years old and he was hiking in Yellowstone when he disappeared. And his body was found five feet from the Turkey Pen Peak where he accidentally stepped into a chute and fell. Ooh, scary. How do they know he was looking Super for scary. the treasure? He told people? That's what he was before, up to? Yeah. yeah. So he thought it was or, somewhere in Yellowstone, huh? Well, Murphy, yeah. Well, Murphy actually wrote Forrest Fenn before he left on his last trip. Um, and it showed emails from them. Like, Fenn and Murphy responded via email. But then when he went missing, Fenn reached out to Yellowstone officials during the search And I don't know if he helped them, obviously, but I think he was like, this is where he said he was going. Here's what I know, blah, blah, blah. He was really concerned. He offered to help pay for a helicopter to find James, to find Jeff Murphy. And he wrote that he had never been to the area. So where he fell. So Fenn had said the treasure wasn't even there. He's never been to that area. I'll help rent a helicopter. Um, And he was worried about him. In 2017, Eric Ashby, who's 31, he was searching for the treasure. He was in a raft in the Arkansas River. The raft overturned. He fell out. They found his body. In 2017, um, the body of a pastor, Paris Wallace, was found in New Mexico, and he was looking for the treasure as well. In 2017, the New Mexican police had begged Fenn to stop the search because they were concerned about public safety think that the question is, is I'm so curious what lawyers like I bet that's why the book was free and he didn't profit off of it because there probably was some liability issue there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He made sure that he wasn't going to financially profit off of any of this, which is smart. Yeah. Which is very smart. <laughs> Frankly. So after that death in 2017, as well as between some of the other deaths, he released some clues on some blogs or websites dedicated to searching for the treasure. So he said the treasure trust is not underwater, nor is it near the Rio Grande. Grand? Rio Grande? Rio I don't Grande? know. I think I would just say Grand, but I also don't say Quesadilla, you know? It's like you have Quesadilla. to, you have well, to calm Dija, down. That's like a certain dialect. I don't even say bagel right. You shouldn't ask me questions. Yeah. No, you definitely don't say bagel right. It's embarrassing for you. And I would quit. I would quit while I was ahead and just be like a bagel. I would just, I would just <laughs> change really it change up. it. Okay. Change it up. So he said it's not near the Rio Grande River. It is not necessary to move large rocks or climb up or down a steep precipice, and it is not under a man-made object. So he clarified some things. He said, be cautious and don't take risks. This search is supposed to be fun. So 
Along with the deaths, there's obviously been injuries, run-ins with local police and the federal law enforcement. And this I thought was a kind of interesting, sort of funny anecdote is that a guy was searching and he got injured. And when he called his wife, he was like, I'm injured, injured bad. And uh, he wouldn't, she was like, where are you? And he's like, I can't tell you. I'm worried about copycats. He was worried. Oh my God. <laughs> so he like couldn't find I can't him for tell a you. little while. He's like, where are you, hon? And he's like, there's a possibility that someone's listening and searching and behind me. And I can't, I can't risk it. I can't risk it. Fair, fair. So obviously, like I said before, we're a litigious society. So there's been some lawsuits. In December of 2019, David Harolf Hansen sued Fenn for $1.5 million. He claims that Fenn made fraudulent statements and had misleading clues. The judge threw the case out. Because he didn't serve Fenn the papers to the lawsuit properly. That was like botched and mishandled. That was why. So he's petitioning to reopen the case as of last week. He was petitioning to open the case for the lawsuit for $1.5 million. In 2020, there was another death. There was this guy, Michael Wayne Sexton, who died from getting lost in the search. That's all I could find. But that was March 2020. So... Not that long ago, there was another death. Fenn, who is 89, as I mentioned before, he's turning 90 in August, and someone was like, whoa, 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 what if you die? Which is a reasonable question. He's an old guy. And he was like, you know what? If I die, that knowledge of the location, it's buried with me in my coffin. Literally? Literally. <laughs> he's like, it's in my head. Oh, and I don't know what we it. believe in, but... I was like, don't write that and take it with you because somebody's going to grave rob you, sir. (laughs) Maybe he wants it. He loves adventure. Wouldn't that be the best adventure at the end that he's. Wait, wouldn't that be a sick twist if they actually, when he died, he's buried in the one point, the one million dollar treasure. And that was the thing the whole time. You just had to wait till he died. Love it. Wait, that's good. Okay, so on Sunday, June 7th, a.k.a. 10 minutes ago. 10 minutes ago, for you, dear readers, it's like two weeks and 10 minutes ago, he at Fenn announced on his website that the treasure has been found. What? Fenn confirmed it with the guy. The guy emailed Fenn a photo and Fenn was like, yeah, that's the treasure. And they were like, well, what's his name? And he's like, the guy doesn't want to know. Um, and then they were like, okay, well, where is he from? And he just said, back east. That's all he said about where the guy was from. Um, Wait, but he did live post- back east. It's one of our friends. It's you? I'm not telling. I would never tell. <laughs> you weren't in Hawaii. You were actually just searching for the treasure. I also feel like, I got to tell you, I'm not surprised it was found in quarantine, considering I think people were bored and are losing their jobs and want to be out in nature. That actually right. makes sense to me that it was found. So he releases this statement. It was found under a canopy of stars in the lush forested vegetation of the Rocky Mountains and had not moved from the spot where I hid it more than 10 years ago. I congratulate the thousands of people who participated in the shirt in the search and hope they will continue to be drawn to the pro- by the promise of other discoveries. Okay, here's... A question, and I think I know the answer. So 
I totally get not revealing the guy's identity. A lot of people, when they win the lottery, don't want people to know. Absolutely. You don't want My people... favorite photo is the guy in the scream mask who had to be there physically to claim it. And he wore a scream mask so nobody knew who he was. I love that one. Yeah. You don't want your relationship with everyone in your life to change because you're suddenly a millionaire. And you don't want to be a target for robbery, whatever. I get it. I get all of it. But okay, fine. Don't tell us his name. Don't tell us who he is. I don't understand why you can't tell us the answer to the riddle. I don't like now that the treasure's not there anymore. And a lot of people were like, is it here? Is it here? Is it here? Can't you be like, it was here. Here's the decoded. Here's what the poem meant. And here's where the spot was. I'm going to answer your question with another little bit of information. I don't know if this is the actual answer. Well, that's how I prefer my answers to come. So that's... I'm going to answer your question with an answer. I'm going to answer your question with an answer. (laughs) So there's this woman, Barbara Anderson. She's a Chicago real estate lawyer, okay? She is... She claimed she solved the puzzle and then someone hacked her account, her email, whatever, her privacy, and was hacked and then went and discovered the gold the treasure. And so she's a she's a lawyer, so she's representing herself. So I think but she doesn't know that to be the case because he did not release exactly. I'm wondering if that's why he is not releasing it. Ha-ha. Because if he did, then people would be like, "I was right and there wasn't one there." I bet if he reveals the location, it'll bring about new suspicion about whether there was one because people I bet would be like I've been there there wasn't anything there maybe he does maybe there wasn't anything there you know like I think all options I think there were people like he he was being sued again last week this Barbara's suing him there's some there's some more lawsuits like I mentioned earlier about a fraudulent claim I think people are suspicious that these lawsuits have been coming up and then all of a sudden the treasure has been found like he People was just trying to shut little, it down. He's trying to shut it down by being like, guys, the treasure's done. It's done. It's done. Like it stopped being fun and special and you guys are ruining it. So I'm taking it away. Or maybe he just was a dick and didn't actually have a treasure. I don't buy it. I don't buy that he's a dick and didn't have a treasure. I That doesn't feel right. I Listen, I don't it know this guy. It feels really mean. I don't know this guy, but I, I want to think that he loves fun. <laughs> between you and me i want to believe that everyone loves fun which makes me double sad because i feel like he was like look let's just do something fun and everyone else was like no let's throw tantrums Hmm. yeah his last i will close with this when somebody asked him how he was feeling that you know the hunt was over he said i don't know i feel halfway kind of glad halfway kind of sad because the chase is over yeah, that sounds right to me, man. I also like wonder God if he was him. like 90 and is just loving getting emails from people being like, hey, Ben. Yeah. Hey, Forrest. He made a Sweet lot Carrie. of new friends and a lot of new enemies. A lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even some frenemies, dare I say. <gasps> you did. You said it. Said so that's the story of uh, Forrest Fenn's treasure. Awesome story. Let's do it. Let's have a treasure for our dear readers somewhere. Um, after hearing about all the getting sued, I don't. It's not for me. 
I no longer believe in fun. Oh, I forgot to tell you, your story also made me no longer believe in fun. <laughs> well, that makes sense. That yeah. sounds right. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like my MO. Yeah. <laughs> Sucking all the fun out. <laughs> you are a fun vampire. I, as you know, did Jack the Ripper today to follow mm. up the servant girl annihilator from last week, who some theorized was the same. One in the same. Um, my uh, research was Wikipedia, History.com, JackTheRipper.org. Um, and then I I decided I wanted to watch something. So I was like doing some research on what I could watch. And everything was like, because there's no f- real footage, obviously, of anything in that time. It's like those documentaries that just show pictures of things. Which are hard to watch if they're not really well done. Well, and they like scan over the picture slowly. Yeah, and you're like, and it's yeah, someone no, being I get like, it. it's a picture of it was my great uncle, a spoon. Yeah, who was yeah, it's too <laughs> much. So what I did end up finding that I watched was a BBC documentary that was made in 2019. So you're like, well, that's fun. It was called Jack the Ripper, The Case Reopened. So I have some information in here from that as well. I didn't know a lot about this. I mean, I really didn't know anything about it, to be fair. And I think I didn't care. And I think the reason I didn't care about this case (laughs) is that we know it's unsolved. But then when I started researching it, I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. And I guess I I was just surprised because it feels like a really well-known thing. Mm-hmm. And I realized it was not well known to me. Well, so, we know the name Jack the Ripper, but we don't know. Everyone knows the name Jack the Ripper, Damn. exactly. So we'll start out in 1888, and that's when Jack the Ripper is wreaking fucking havoc. But he wasn't actually always called Jack the Ripper. Actually, um, that name came from some letters we'll talk about later on, but in criminal case files at the time, he was sometimes referred to as the Whitechapel murderer and my favorite leather apron, which just sounds like a bad metal band, doesn't it? It probably is. I bet someone found that and was like, that'll be a sick band name. And I bet they did name leather apron. Yes. Either that or it's like a bespoke men's shaving company or something. (laughs) So the parish of Whitechapel in London's East End at the time had seen sort of an influx of immigration. It was getting crowded and housing was sort of like no longer a given, but a privilege. There was a stronger uh, underclass developing. And as a result of all this, there's like a ton of health problems that's dirty as fuck. 55% of the children born at the time on the East End died before they were five. Yeah. So it was just a, it was a hard time to be alive. It was hard to survive. And a lot of women at the time turned to sex work uh, just to get by. And it wasn't illegal. So at the time, there was 62 brothels and like 1,200 women that were working as sex workers. It was super common. I just want to say that since... As a lot of you will know, many of the victims were sex workers um, and that many of the fucking residents were sex workers. So let's mm-hmm. just be clear. There were a lot of violent attacks on women during that time. And we don't know actually how many attacks were Jack the Ripper. 
there was actually 11 murders the police filed as Whitechapel murders, but there are five of those that are known as the canonical five, where it's like we 100% attribute these to Jack the Ripper. And I'll go over those. They were all sex workers. They all lived in the East End of London in Whitechapel. And experts just agree. That's one thing they agree on. These five for sure. But there are two murders not included that happened right around the same time that end up getting talked about a lot when you're reading up on it in various places. They're like, what about these two murders? One of them is of this woman, Emma Elizabeth Smith. She was robbed and sexually assaulted in April in 1888, and she was beaten and raped with an object that ruptured her peritoneum, which is like the lining of your abdominal cavity. Oh, my God. But, it just reminds me of seven. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's so it's terrible. But but the thing is, it's pretty clear that it was some sort of gang like it was a group or gang okay. violence and to me reading about that one felt unrelated to the other crimes but the other murder they talk about of martha tabram actually seems like there's a really good chance that was the first ripper kill and oh. what kind of pushed me over the edge into believing that was actually that bbc doc tabram was murdered august 7th 1888 she had been married but she and her husband had separated and he had withdrawn his financial support of her so she became a sex worker to support herself the good news is she wasn't raped but the bad news is she was stabbed 39 times oh my god and she was stabbed sort of everywhere throat lungs heart liver spleen all the fuck everywhere but there was like a specific concentration of knife wounds on her breasts and on her vagina so it felt very there, there that, seems like, to be a hatred of women. Yeah, sexualized, a hatred of women, a sort of dark, misogynistic thing happening there. Um, and the over-the-top nature of this kill and the geography of where it happens are what sort of lead this guy, David Wilson, who's the criminologist in the BBC doc, to say, I think this murder was definitely Jack the Ripper. He says there's two types of serial killers, some that are act-focused and some that are process-focused. Mm -hmm. So act-focused would be like, I want to get the kill. And process-focused right. would be less about the fact that there's a dead person and much more about what happens surrounding that. Gotcha. Jack the Ripper is process-focused and the over-the-top anger you see in his kills and the way he treats the bodies what it looks like is that he has um, a hatred for women and that he gets some sort of satisfaction sexually from the way that he's dealing with their bodies and going nuts on them. Wow. Also, another thing to note that rang true for me just in being somebody that's really into true crime is mm -hmm. that most process-focused killers lack power in their life or control they feel like made small by something or someone and that makes them angry and so we're seeing them enact power and control on the victim Ugh. so i think the big question is why don't we quote count martha 
Why isn't she right. part of the canonical five? So the night that she was murdered, she went out drinking with a friend of hers and two soldiers, and she left with one of the soldiers. So I think the big issue is that there became a narrative that was she was killed by a soldier. Mm-hmm. And so they were looking, looking, looking for this soldier, and they never found anybody. But the police had their heads so wrapped around what they were looking for and that right. it was this specific thing that they didn't look elsewhere. God, that has happened so many times yeah, in our stories. We definitely wish that wasn't Tale as Old as Time, but it is. The other primary way this kill is different is that he attacks her from the front, stabbing her, and mm-hmm. Jack the Ripper killed his later victims from behind. But if this was his first kill, you could also sort of reason that he was learning Mm-hmm. He was making adjustments and right. he was like, I'm going to do it differently next time. We're operating under the idea that that is his first kill if we're not including the servant girl annihilator. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And with most serial killers, you would see the violence escalate or right. more risk be taken later. And that would actually be generally true if this was right. his first uh, kill. Also, the documentary, because the documentary is made in 2019, they are able to do a bunch of they're able to use a bunch of cool technology, which is half totally awesome and half you're like, well, it's tricky because obviously in the late 1800s, they didn't save like they can't take out anything that was actually there at the time and test it or anything like that. But they do geo profiling in the documentary so they are able to look at a map and map all the kills out and they talk about how there are two different kinds of killers they're commuter killers and marauders so a commuter killer leaves their community to commit crimes wants to sort of be far away from the area mm-hmm. they're associated with but a marauder sort of doesn't travel far from home and uses home as a safety thing like a home base I'm what? sorry. The reason I'm laughing is because I just think of a Harry Potter, the Marauders map, and someone killing someone and being like, mischief managed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like, literally, how dark. Um, also, by the way, 85 to 90% of serial killers are marauders. It's much more common than being a commuter. But when you make a map of the kills, the five canonical kills sort of all span outward from Martha Tabram. Like, she's at the center, and it makes perfect sense if you consider okay let's say that was his first kill he doesn't want to go very far from home because he wants to be able to rush back to a place where he's safe when it's over Mm -hmm. um and not be roaming the streets afterwards because he's not used to doing it but then all the other kills afterwards are half a mile away so it feels like not only are you able to say this was probably the first kill but you're also able to say with some certainty he likely lived around where he killed martha tabram and then for all the other kills he didn't want to travel outside let's say a half mile radius to commit the killings so he's wow. going a half mile east a half mile west and that's sort of true of all these five kills that follow mm-hmm so let's do the canonical five. Mary Ann Nichols was the first, and she was found at 3.40 a.m. on Friday the 31st of August, 88, in Bucks Row, Whitechapel. Her throat was severed by two cuts, deep as fuck, like down to the vertebrae. The lower Ugh. part of her abdomen 
was ripped open and ripped there open? were several other cuts on the right side. Annie Chapman was found a week later on September 8th, 1888. Her body was discovered at 6 a.m. near a doorway in the backyard in Spitalfields, which is a terrible name. Annie had been married previously to a coachman who had worked for like the, the aristocracy. So they were kind of fancy and they had nice shit, you know, and they had three kids, but their first kid is disabled and their last kid dies and she and her husband start boozing a bunch to deal. Oh. And so they start fighting and they end up splitting up. And he still gives her like a weekly financial support. But mm-hmm. then he dies and then she has nothing. So she and she doesn't train oh. for anything in her whole life. So she's like, what am I going to sell? I guess I'm going to sell my body. So she became a sex worker. And like Marianne, her throat is cut. Her abdomen's cut open. A section of her stomach was placed on her left shoulder and her small intestines were removed and put on her right shoulder. And then when they did the autopsy, they're like, oh, there's some stuff missing, like a piece of her bladder and her uterus and her vagina are missing. (gasps) So. Oh, God. And this would have been like a high risk kill. It was in a room that there was only one entry and exit point or in a outdoor area where there was only one entry and exit point. So he's like could have been cornered, but wasn't worried about it. This chick, Elizabeth Long, says at this inquest, she's like, I saw something fishy at 530 that day. 530 in the morning? At 530 in the morning. Right before the body was found, essentially. Elizabeth Long saw Annie standing with a dude wearing a brown deerstalker hat and a dark overcoat. And she described him as having a shabby genteel appearance, which I think is just an early way of saying shabby chic, right? Absolutely. Elizabeth hears him say to Annie, will you? And Annie says, yes. And that's the last thing anyone heard of Annie. Then there was something that we call the double event, which is killings three and four. Two killings in a day, essentially. What happened here is that Elizabeth Stride was found on the 30th of September. And there was an eyewitness account. A dude had seen a guy push Elizabeth into the street and she was yelling and hollering. He thought it was maybe a domestic dispute and it was none of his beeswax. So he does nothing. And make it your beeswax. Make it your beeswax, folks. He says the dude is that was with her was in his 30s, fair skin, dark mustache. He gives like an outfit description of a dark hat and coat. She was killed by a clear cut incision that was across her neck. And there was no weird shit done to her body. Which we think what happened is it's like a Gainesville Ripper sitch where they're like he was going to do shit and got his scared. There yeah, people got scared. around. He had to go. Yeah. Um, so imagine Ugh. that he begins this and it's his like weird get off sex thing and he starts it, but he doesn't get the satisfaction of finishing. So he's now angry and frustrated. Catherine Eddowes was killed the same day and was found 45 minutes later. She was seen that night by this guy, Joseph Lavender. He Great name as well. Oh, my Great God, name as right? Well. 
It feels like that's a member of Clue, like Mr. Lavender. Joseph Lavender. He provides an eyewitness report and says it's super similar. Like the dude is in his 30s. He's fair skinned, dark mustache. But he describes the outfit as different. So one theory is that maybe Jack the Ripper went home after that first kill to change clothes and went back out. Maybe he got or blood it could on his have clothes. been a domestic, or it could have been a domestic dispute, and they killed him, making it look like it was Jack the Ripper. If those could deaths have been. have been happening, I don't know. I don't, guys. I'm not a. I'm not. I'm She's not a dentist. I'm not a dentist. I I just play one on TV. So, what would be nice about that theory, though, of him going home, would be it again is like a clue of that he's a uh, where marauder. does he live? Yeah, yeah, and like. Does he, he must live in sort of in between these two spots right. um, or at least not super out of the way of them. But also um, how many people in England at this point in London have very fair skin and dark mustaches? I mean, there's a reason we don't know who it is, you know? <laughs> I think a lot of folks in England are pretty pale and have some choice facial hair. But remember that old leather apron didn't get his rocks off with kill one in this instance so he's right. gonna go totally apeshit bananas on Catherine's body he's gonna no. cut her throat cut her stomach take out her intestines again he's gonna take pieces of her organs her nose is severed her cheek is slashed her eyelids are cut he also like does these little triangle incisions on her cheek that are sort of like arrows that uh, point to each eye he cuts off like a lobe of one of her ears. It's nuts. Ugh. The fifth victim is Mary Jane Kelly, who was uh, found on Friday, the 9th of November, 1888, in the single room she lived in. So this is actually, I think, the first kill indoors. Mm-hmm. And they reconstruct the crime scene in the documentary. And what is sort of just interesting about looking at the room is you're like, oh, there's no sign of a struggle. She entered this room with somebody she felt safe with and trusted. Her clothes are folded neatly. Her boots are kind of set together. So when she's getting undressed, it's like there's a calmness. Mm -hmm. She was the youngest of his victims at 25 years old. And he, this is by far the most brutal in many ways. Her face was just like hacked beyond recognition. And awful. She was like emptied of her organs. And one breast was placed beneath her head. There was other, like, stuff that he pulled out of her body and put it on the bed by her foot. And the heart was missing from the crime scene. He just, he went ballistic. So the crimes did, like you see with a lot of serial killers, increase in their violence. But a lot of people, like you said, think that maybe only three of these were Jack the Ripper and two of them were copycat incidences. Other people think he did all seven of the ones I just listed, including the one that I attributed to a gang. Lots think it was just five. Oh, so it's sort of I it. hate. I mean, Quint. There's a bunch more deaths at this time. Rose Milet, who was 26, is strangled. Alice McKenzie got stabbed twice in the neck and they found her body that had some cuts on it as well under her left breast and her navel. 
Also, I just want to say when I was reading that, be careful when you're looking at Wikipedia because sometimes you accidentally hover over a word like navel by accident, your cursor gets stuck, and then the computer will just only show you a picture of a navel for a very long time. And it's when you're reading this stuff, that's not, you just don't want to look at that. I feel like that's, I got to tell you, um, maybe this is controversial. I feel like the navel in terms of hoverable words is probably like the least of my concern in this story. Okay. Just but like seeing a belly button. There's only so much you can control is all I'm saying. There's only a belly button. Like I don't want to see a murder scene. You know what I mean? Like I I, I don't want to see that. I hear you. <laughs> there was also something called, you're not going to like this either, the Pension Street Torso, which was a decomposing headless and legless torso of an unidentified woman that they found in Whitechapel in 89. You're correct. I did not like to hear that. Yeah. Um, in 91, there's another sex worker, Frances Coles, they find with her throat cut, uh, but her body isn't mutilated. I'm so, so surprised that these killings like stopped. Like, well, it was... so these are the 11, like the 11 Whitechapel murders. The list goes on. And there's, I think the point is saying that at the time, there were a lot of violent crimes happening Right. In this area. Right. So that's one of the things that makes it even harder to know which one was Jack the Ripper. But I would say since his crimes gen followed a general pattern and did seem to get more and more violent, it doesn't seem like it's him to like go strangle a girl. Right. And then just leave the body. Because what we know about serial killers is that it seems like with him he's having some sort of sexual satisfaction from what he's doing to the bodies so that's right. what you're gonna see with everyone he's killed can i ask how many total deaths are they attributing to jack the ripper well that's what i'm telling you that that's not established there are experts that say different things but the five canonical ones that i read you the most details mm -hmm. on are the ones that the experts agree on almost no one says less than that that's gotcha. the baseline so but that's just the white church murder white, the chapel. white church sorry white chapel that's just the white chapel murders there's 11 of those and five of those they attribute to jack the ripper but he's gonna go on to kill more isn't he we don't know we don't know who jack the ripper is and we don't know what he did with his life how did he so he but i'm sorry here's the thing because it's the five canonical ones and there aren't more than that that we say were definitely him no to answer your question no, Jack the Ripper probably only killed these five. And a lot of people become suspects in these murders based on the fact that they're indisposed for one reason or another after the final murder. So why didn't the killings go on? Yeah. Did Jack the Ripper die? Did Jack right. the Ripper become institutionalized? We'll talk about that. I'm so confused because there's I know you clarified. But again, I'm learning from this the first time. They don't know who the white only the five but they don't know who the white chapel murderer is but they're saying five for sure could be attributed to jack the ripper and the name jack the ripper came in later they're probably at the time saying leather apron or something mm -hmm. so two thousand okay. people get interviewed there's like <gasps> 300 people get investigated 80 people get detained like they don't fucking know who did this Butchers, right. surgeons, doctors, everyone's like, that's probably it's probably them because of the weird mutilations. Um, mm -hmm. So alibis of all of them are being investigated. And 
they're slowly getting eliminated. A lot of people were like, hey, maybe it's a cattle drover on one of the cattle boats because Whitechapel's close to the London docks and the boats dock on a Thursday or Friday and then leave on a Saturday or Sunday. And it's it seems like most of the killings happened like over the weekend that way where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, they'd be here to do the killing and then get back on the boat. But the murders didn't coincide with one single boat's movements where they could be like, yeah, if the if he was on this boat, it would make sense. Ugh, um, that's so annoying. Yeah. So the townspeople- I mean, the deaths are really bad, but the boat is annoying. The boat thing's super annoying, though. The townspeople <laughs> are getting cuckoo, obviously. Right. They're like, we're freaked out. So you know what? Fuck it. We're going to make our own squad of investigators- made up of volunteers and we're going to offer our own reward of 50 pounds leading for inf- like for information on him and to date now there's still over 100 suspects some people are, are like it was prince albert edward victor some people are like i think it was lewis carroll some people are like it was the freemasons i mean it gets a little psychotic you know what like we know any unsolved mystery there's always conspiracy theories like there's always going to be well, so when I did the Servant Girl Annihilator, I told you about that guy, James Maybrick, that wrote in his diary that he was Jack the Ripper. And since then, right. I this documentary told me that they have looked at the diary and it's a hoax because the paper and ink are able to be dated and they're dated after he would have been alive. Right, 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 right. So yeah. they go through some people I thought had... The potential, and they kind of explain why that isn't so. And this documentary in particular, the BBC one, favors a man that's named Aaron Kosminski, who was a Polish barber, and he was a hairdresser, and he lived in the area close to Martha Tabram. He was in his mid-20s. He totally fits the description. He lived with his family but had a private room where he could have made entrances and exits without being alarming anyone. Uh, his home just like generally makes sense geographically speaking, mm-hmm. um, especially with the double murder if he went home. And in 1885, right. his family said he's having mental health problems and said he was hearing voices that told him to do violent things. And at the time, the police are going door to door and like talking to people. So they clock him as a person of interest and kind of are like, we should watch that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1890, he's institutionalized. After he attacks his sister with a knife. And then the cause of his insanity once he's institutionalized is recorded as self-abuse, which is like a euphemism for masturbation, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) So you're like, okay, he's crazy because he masturbates. Hear that, kids? Don't try it. He dies at the age of 53 of gangrene in 1919. And in September 2014, super recent, Russell Edwards, an author, says that he's proved Kosminski's guilt by using mitochondrial DNA evidence from a shawl that he believes was left at a murder scene. But scientists are like, I don't like this paper. I don't like what it says. There's lots of mistakes and assumptions. So there are so many typos in it. We can't take it seriously. There are a bunch of grammatical errors. It's for sure wrong. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> He's doing his citing all wrong. Ibit. He just said in bed. What is it? What is it? <laughs> in bed. In bed. He, that's the problem. He didn't write Ibit. He wrote in bed. And they were like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. In bed. In bed. You mean Ibit? 
<laughs> yeah, in bed is what you say after you read your fortune from a fortune cookie. You dumbass. Anyway, what doesn't sit right with me personally is that the killing stopped in 88. And mm-hmm. he wasn't institutionalized, I don't think, till 90. So to me, I'm like, I don't buy that this guy that was killing sometimes weeks apart stopped killing for two years. For two years. Maybe he. Uh, yeah. I, also, it doesn't sound like his English was great, which I think it would have been because he's needing to like talk women into things, convince them of stuff. And he's needing to blend, blend, blend seamlessly into the london scene so i think it was a local like i don't think it was anyone that would qualify as too different because i don't think it would have put the women in those times at ease did they find that he this this polish immigrant did he have any connection to texas at all like do i know if he could have been no he definitely didn't no if it was him he's not also the gotcha yeah i also feel like there's this part of it that's like so there's this guy, Jack the Ripper. He's butchering women. What if it's related to this unsolved? What if it's related to this unsolved? It feels like all the unsolved are just like, yeah, it might be one person. You know what? I also think it's like just wanting to be optimistic that there's mm-hmm. one bad guy out exact. there and not six. That's what, yeah. And you're like, no, there's, sorry, there's probably six. Or at least with there's the difference, probably there's more. probably three. No, Carrie, only three. Um, So the letters <laughs> I want to tell you about are super interesting. There are... A few letters in this case that either make their way to the cops or to that townsfolk community I told you about or to the press. So I'm going to read you the most famous of these letters. Okay. The first one's called the Dear Boss Letter. And it was sent to the Central News Agency of London, September 88. 1888. Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I'm down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with it. But it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for a jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp. I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind giving me the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. Hmm. It's everyone's like it's a hoax. Like it's definitely a hoax. But days later, Catherine Eddowes' body was found and there was that earlobe cut off. Gotcha. So that's a little weird. But they also gave him the name Jack the Ripper because of letters like this where he signed it Jack the Ripper, whoever signed it. If he did write this, I think it was just because he didn't like the name Leather Apron and was like, I don't want that. We need a rebrand. <laughs> it's a rebranding letter. We need a relaunch. We need to relaunch the brand. This one is just will not do. The same news agency gets a postcard a week later that says, I was not cotting, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. 
You'll hear about Saucy Jack's work tomorrow, double event this time, number one squealed a bit, couldn't finish straight off, had no time to get ears off for police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again, Jack the Ripper. So a lot of people are like, listen, a journalist wrote this and it's to keep the news spicy. And then in 1931, a journalist, Fred Best, confesses that he and a colleague at the Star newspaper wrote the Dear Boss letter and the saucy Jackie postcard in order to maintain public interest in the case and basically have like higher sales of the papers. What, what We don't know if that's even true. We really don't. But what it's a weird thing to confess to if it's not. But also we know that the handwriting from those two letters match. So whoever wrote the postcard wrote the Dear Boss right. letter. The, the ear thing is weird, though, that they would predict that. Yeah. That part is weird, but I also don't think it's Jack the Ripper writing. Gotcha. Um, That's just what I... I don't think generally people don't think it is. People think they're hoaxes. I'm going to read you this last letter. Um, It doesn't match the other ones in terms of handwriting. And a lot of experts say that it's the letter that has the most potential to be authentic. It was sent to a man named George Lusk. And he was the guy that was the head of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, which was like the... We're going to fucking solve it ourselves, club. Oh, and it was sent with half of a preserved kidney that was determined to be a human's kidney from the left side. Oh, my God. Are they able to test the DNA as to any of the victims? No, 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 no. No. They have no idea. They just know it's human. I'm wondering if now they can. No. They didn't do that. I don't think that they hung on to it because I think they were like, gross, and threw it away. (laughs) i'm sorry there's no way gross ew evidence the letter starts like this from hell mr lusk sir i send you half the kidney i took from one woman preserved it for you t'other piece i fried and ate it was very nice i may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer signed Catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. I sh- I fucking knew that this person was a cannibal. I knew it. I knew it. And it was it's hard to read the letters because lots is spelled wrong. Um, so I'm reading it right because it's too confusing if I don't. But there's lots of missing letters and things like that. Maybe it's a puzzle. So obviously there's no surviving forensic evidence, including things like the kidney. And today there's articles still and movies and books and obviously documentaries being made because people are super interested in this crime. And Mm -hmm. now that whoever knew anybody is dead and whoever did it is dead, we can pretty much write any shit we want accusing somebody of being Jack the Ripper. And no one is around for that lawsuit. So accuse on, friends. (laughs) Jacques the Ripper. Jacques the Ripper. And that's not the whole story, but that is some of the story of Jack the Ripper. That's insane. You definitely thought there was more murders than there are. I definitely thought. Well, cause, because... I could tell. Yeah. You were yeah, like, for all sure. right, how many more of these? And I was like, none. And you were like, but... And I was like, get over it. None. And Stop I was being like, addicted that- to murder. I'm a dick. I'm addicted to murder. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that Jack the Ripper stuck and it clearly was like a marketing ploy by someone 
in the reporter's room. Like, yeah, it, they were like, this it, is cool. Jack the Ripper is good. Well, it's the same as Black Dahlia was also a reporter uh, that tried to claim there was like a black Dahlia flower found there. There definitely wasn't, but they knew that they needed a cool, buzzy name for the kill Murder. for it to be um, a more fun headline or whatever. I'm just so shocked when these unsolved serial killers just cease, you know? Well, that's why, to me, I'm like, 100% this guy died or moved. There's no way he did these five crimes that escalated, 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 and then was like, you know what? I just got it out of my system. No. Do you think, were there any, did the documentary go into the potential of a move to other parts of um, England or no. no, no, because the documentary that I watched really thinks it's this guy Kazminsky, um, who ended up being institutionalized and dying. Um, but that's still two years of unaccounted, correct nothingness. And the thing is, is he attacked his sister with a knife, is what made him, which also doesn't this... necessarily seem. Um, I can't imagine this person failing or doing anything that's not calculated, like attacking his sister if she's by herself. If you, know you wanted I mean? to like, attack his sister with a knife and it was Jack the Ripper, you feel like she'd be dead and it'd be gruesome. Yeah. He's not yeah. like, doesn't know how to use a knife. Clearly. Ugh. Maybe he just threw the knife at her and that's what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> was it another euphemism for masturbating? <laughs> <laughs> Throwing so- the knife. God, self-abuse was a euphemism for masturbating. That's so funny. It's so intense, right? I mean, I guess it probably looks like (laughs) self-abuse. Jesus. But also, I like that it was listed as like, what was wrong with him? They're like, oh, you know what's wrong with him? He masturbates. He masturbates. (laughs) As if, so everyone in the room was just pretending that was a thing they didn't do. Everyone was looking at each other being like, do you do that at home? No, no, I don't. Do you? I would never. never I would self-abuse. never. Just I would a room never full self-abuse. of doctors and nurses pretending they've never masturbated and being like, that guy's weird, huh, guys? <laughs> <laughs> We're on to you. I really like that. I actually would love it if like there was a time travel show and people came to today and like saw how easy porn was to look up and like all this stuff and be like, is everyone here okay? Is everyone here Jack the Ripper? <laughs> is everyone here self-abusing? <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> also, I say bring back Leather Apron. Yeah. No more Jack him- the Ripper. It's Leather Apron. Well, thanks for sharing that fucking okay. story. No, no, don't thank me. Thank Jack. Thank you know That's what? Actually... We got to actually look uh, at the records of who lived in Whitechapel at the time. Wouldn't it be crazy if there was a Jack Ripper and they just didn't ever look? <laughs> <laughs> it was just right in front of them the whole time. Middle name was D-E, just lowercase. <laughs> da <De> Ripper. Jeff. <laughs> da <De> Ripper. <laughs> I feel like... Do you think that Jesse and the Rippers... Um, do you think they took their namesake from Jack the Ripper? Full no. house, baby. Full house. Oh, I th- right. Right? Jesse and the Rippers. Jesse and the Rippers. I, I mean, that strikes me as the Jack full house the brand Rippers? for sure, right? It's <laughs> so stupid. Cut it out. Yeah, Dave Coulier. You don't there be well. You know that that's 
who Alanis Morissette wrote the song about. You want to know. That embarrasses me too much to think about. So I try not to. (laughs) You're like, Alanis, you're so much hotter and cooler than him. And he like didn't treat you well. What a jerk. Oh, my God. Best full house news ever, by the way. Wait a minute. Becky might become a real housewife. Legit. What? When she gets out of jail, she might become a real housewife. (laughs) Wait. Wait, 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 That's what, what I should what? have done my, wait, I wish I hadn't done Jack wait. the Ripper and I had just done a news coverage story on that because that is truly <laughs> darkly creepy and I can't wait. A wait a minute. Lori Laughlin and Becky is going to be a real housewife. I assume Beverly rumors. Hills. Rumors. Yes. Bev Hills. She ain't, she ain't Orange County. She's Bev Hills. Ugh. I mean. For those of you who pray. Pray for that. <laughs> Did you ever think when you were tuning into our podcast, you'd be met with true crime, Bravo-related news, full house anecdotes? I mean, and 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 PSAs such as "Don't put babies in boxes." And this no. Moana song. What can we say except you're welcome? You're welcome. <laughs> we're killing we it. You know what? Dear On that readers, note, let's sign off. Because I let's sign off. We, there's nowhere to go but down from here. Yeah, we gotta go. We gotta go. Hey, dear readers, thanks for joining us. We love you. By the way, you're listening to truly darkly creepy. That was Carrie Ipema, and this is Quinlan Posner, and we're out, sucka. Bye. Bye.